Come, Holy Spirit. Our Lord Jesus was crucified, buried on the third day. He rose again 50 days after his resurrection. He had departed this earth and the church was gathered together and they received this gift of spirit. Jesus told his disciples that it would be so in various scriptures and our gospel reading for this morning is yet another one of these references from the fourth gospel, John chapter 7. Let's stand to honor the gospel of Jesus Christ. On the last day of the festival, the great day, while Jesus was standing there, Jesus cried out, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the scripture has said, Out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now Jesus said this about the Spirit, which the believers in him were to receive, for as yet there was no Spirit, because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please, as you're seated. Our children will be dismissed for their time of worship in their wonderful new space. So don't mess it up. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Let's pray together. On this day, we do pray for our children and for our youth the capacity to catch this faith uh, comes to each of us differently for we are each fearfully and wonderfully made for some faith comes easy effortlessly for others it is filled with doubts and struggles hard to understand that which is literal that which is metaphor that which we are to cling to and never change and that which changes with every time and age. It takes the wisdom of your Holy Spirit in and through the lives of people, through the ages, that have guided the church to this very day. And so we're hopeful and asking that the Spirit of Pentecost be present among your church, not only here at Grinstead and Cherokee, but at Grinstead and Patterson, or at uh, Cherokee and Patterson and Cherokee and Highland and Cherokee and Baxter and all around the city, that spirit might unite us and call us to be the men and women, the boys and girls, the church that is needed so desperately in these dangerous times. In the name of the one who embodied courage and gave the spirit, Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen. It was 70 years ago yesterday on D-Day that the Allies were forced to fight fire with fire. They invaded Europe, as you know, the northern shores of France against the occupying Nazi armies, facing fire with fire, guns, tanks, and artillery. Fire with fire is a metaphor, of course, that is used to describe 
the employment of the same tactics that are necessary for the moment. It's logical and it's intuitive, except when it's not. For example, out in California, in Arizona, in parts of Nevada, where they're fighting fire with fire. As you know, there are raging fires in this drought-stricken area, and as counterintuitive as it seems, they have employed the method of fighting the fire by setting fires, fighting fire with fire. They set new fires that are moved in the direction of the existing big burning fire. The idea being that the fuel, the the dry leaves and limbs and trees, dead trees that are there, will be burned so that when the new fire meets up with the old fire, neither fire has anywhere to go. And it goes out. So sometimes it is logical and intuitive. Sometimes it feels counterintuitive. And then there's the faith's version of fighting fire with fire. It was a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. The disciples are gathered together. Jesus has ascended into heaven after having been raised from the dead. Their, their hopes had been dashed, then they'd been raised, and now they're left in this weird limbo around them. Rages the fires of hatred and destruction and division and shame and exclusion. Jesus is gone. They're all alone. They have no power of their own that they know of. They have no position. They have no traditions. All they had was their lives. When the sacred fire, the holy presence of the mystery of life, appears on the disciples' heads, it's like, it's like fire. It's like wind. It allows them to hear and be heard and understand and be understood. Strangers hear each other speaking the word of God and they get it. It doesn't sound like foreign language and it doesn't sound just like religious language. It sounds like deep truth. And they get it. And these enemies become friends and these strangers become cohorts together. These adversaries become companions on the way. It's something bigger than they are individually or even collectively. The sum is bigger than the, the parts. It, 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 it works in miraculous ways because it's, it's God. I know we throw around the word God all the time in church. And I love it. I love it when, when a, a youth or a young adult will say, Now, what exactly do you mean by the word God? That means you're thinking. You're asking. You're wanting to know more. Your understanding of God is expanding as it always should. It's God. Fighting fire with fire. This is God's primary agenda. 
to fight the fires of hatred and exclusion, the fires of shame and division, the fires of power and control, to fight them, to meet them head on with the fires of love, of welcome, of unity. If you ask what is the most important work of the church, even on a day like today, when we're dedicating this new space and celebrating what God has done through us, we have to admit that the most important work of the church has nothing to do with buildings or money or how many people we can gather together on one morning at a particular time. It has nothing to do with conformity. Rather, it has to do with bringing that kind of sacred hope and love and peace and inclusion and welcome that is the very heart of God. How is it, they ask, that we all understand, each of us in our own language, Parthians and Cretes and Elamites and people from all of these places that we can't even remember how to say their names correctly, all of them together, every one of them valued. By the way, I love the fact that each of them were able to hear Luke tells us, according to their own language. The message of God came to them by way of their own language. So if you were a Parthian, you heard it by the way you understood. If you were an Elamite, you heard it in the way you understood. Everyone heard it according to their own way, which is to say the Spirit of God is not one single universal secret language that we have to find and buy into and memorize in order to be in the club If it were, then the church would be something different than what we think the church ought to be. If it were so that you had to buy into and memorize a singular way, then the church should and could demand conformity and lockstep marching. But it's not. Each one hears according to his or her own language and way. I thought of this yesterday as we toured the preschool space upstairs. Wonderful, beautiful space. But what most struck me was a room that has been entitled Godly Play. Godly Play. In that room, you will find resources for the many different ways that we've discovered that children, and really all of us, learn. We don't all learn the same way. Some of you are actually listening to me right now. Others of you are looking at the banners because some of you are auditory learners and others of you are visual learners. And you know what? That's got to be okay. I love that in the 60 years since the building was built, we've come to realize that not all children learn the same way. We can't just put kids in rows and teach them all in exactly the same way. So there are things for the tactile learners. There are things for the kids who need to be by themselves and think about things in solitude, perhaps with a a little finger labyrinth to move and ponder their life. There are, there are ways for children in groups to tell faith stories. There are ways for storytellers to visualize and invite the children. In. It's amazing. There are tactile ways for kids to experience the story of faith. Some here, each here, according 
to their own language, which speaks to us about the Spirit of God, doesn't it? The key is that it takes the Spirit of God. It takes something more thorough, more penetrating, and more profound than something that we can construct that we can program, that we can finance, that we can set into our agendas. This sacred energy that is God transcends our partisanships, our political positions, our human agendas. And it doesn't just transcend it. It bends our agendas, bends this Pentecost metaphor for the Pentecost fire, the fire of deliverance and purity and inclusion, This fire of relationships and sacrifice and love, when it meets head on with the fires of hatred and destruction and exclusion, when the two meet, it just puts out that fire of hatred. But there's more. The fires of Pentecost are like that fire back in Exodus chapter 3. You remember the story of Moses when he encountered the bush that was burning. There was fire, and yet the fire didn't consume the bush. It's a fire that keeps going. It's the fire of God. It's the fire of love that is never extinguished because it never runs out of the capacity to continue to give and give. For its energy is God. We've got to have this fire. We sing a hymn. Brethren, we've met to worship and adore the Lord our God. Will you play, pray with all your power while we try to preach the word? And then this great line, all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. It's all about spirit. It's all about God. Only God can create such a fire. No human willpower, no ingenuity, no cunningness can create it. An architect can't design it. A fundraiser can't buy it. A contractor can't force it into being. It's all about God. Yesterday as we stood in that new space and celebrated what had come into being, I stood with our architect, Bruce Rogers, who turned to me with a smile. Bruce, of course, had been in this space for months and years, looking and dreaming and drawing and then watching it come into life day after day, Bruce turned to me with a smile and said, it looks good with people in it. It does. People make the place. I would add this. It is godly and it looks real good and it becomes real good when the Spirit of God transforms the space, makes it sacred, makes it a place where God is encountered and loved and accessed and, and, and appropriated and, to use the words of the gospel, incarnated, where the gospel of God is made flesh again 
unless the Spirit inspirits the leaders, the preachers, the teachers, the assistants, the musicians, the storytellers. It's a pretty place, but it's an incomplete place. It's a finite place. The Apostle Paul reminded the church at Corinth that we hold this treasure in clay jars or earthen vessels. That is to say, what we have and who we are is always finite, always temporary, always open to change and revision. What is profound and sacred and eternal is not the clay jar, but rather what's inside the clay jar, the treasure. The treasures, the Spirit of God, the power of love to change this world. The reason Highland is in the news of late is because we're about the work of changing the world, not of our own agenda, but of the agenda of God as we see God working. And so, glory to God. This clay jar. Me as your pastor, us as a people, uh, this pulpit, this building, these stones, even what we just built, it's all a clay jar. We love it. We give thanks for it. But it's not the treasure. The treasure is the Spirit of God. And so, God of grace and God of glory, on your people, pour your power. Amen.